Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Mann. How are you? Welcome to your life's work podcast. Today, Ryan King on the big... Uh, this is our social media fast series, so this would be day 19. Uh, Ryan King is coming back for a part two. We did the first one on leaving the pastorate, and he had a few more things that he wanted to talk about, about leaving the pastor, pastorate. He was a pastor, and then uh, he transformed, man. He transformed. He evolved. And uh, we're going to talk about that evolution. We're going to talk about expectations. We're going to talk about what it's like to possibly form new place in his spiritual condition, which is, I think, is cool. So listen for that. Uh, I'm JR, JRMan.com. Uh, I am a spiritual director mentor. I will help uh, in any situation. People always say, hey, man, what, what, do you, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, it all. I do it all. You got career problems, you got relationship problems, faith problems. Let me get in there and help work them out. Good, common, spiritual sense. That's what I do. Um, so fantastic. So here's Ryan King, part two, leaving the pastorate. All right, you're back. I'm back. I'm taking off my glass. So, hey, before the big podcast started, the dog puked when you walked in. It was his welcome gift. Is That's a sign of things to come. Mm. You <laughs> people puking on their way in. <laughs> um, it's raining in Southern California. Um, people want to hear part two. So I had a guy, I'll be honest with you, I had a guy uh, write me, and he's like, uh, hey, this is a familiar story for a lot of people. I don't think you realize how familiar it is. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not aware of it. <laughs> um, but where did we leave off? I mean, just people are generally interested. That's what I'm saying. I think we left off on what do you do if you have this spark happening in you, if, if, if God's lighting something in you and saying hey, everything's not what you think it is, and maybe you're thinking you should do something different than what you're doing, and maybe what you thought the pastor it was didn't end up being what you thought it would be. Uh, because there's a thing, right? And the thing says, uh, like, somehow, well, where are you on call or led? I mean, do you, because some people will say, and I've literally heard this. I've literally been in session with people, especially with pastors, that, that are like, I'm going against my call if I'm leaving the pastorate. And I'm like, well, is that a, th- is that a thing? Like, is that a thing? Like, is, is this an ordained response inside of you? Or, or can we evolve? I guess that's where I come. Like, once you get called or led into something, like I think American Christianity 2019 things like that's a period on the on the sentence like put that book away because that's going on the shelf and it doesn't change ever again yeah but this is something that does change right is does call the the call the the non-changing call was definitely something i subscribed to at one point and i think i've moved into an area now where i think we're called to have a relationship with the divine and i cross out called and just say we're created to be in relationship with Christ. And so the, but the specific, are we specifically called to be a pastor at a local church? Maybe for a season. But if, if, if your relationship to the divine has led you to a place where the rest of life is not working, then shouldn't you look at that call and say, Hey, maybe the calls changed. If you believe in that specific of a call. 
Well, I just, I guess I would prefer to say, is, is there an evolution to call? And that, that's what I mean. We get so dogmatic and certain over what position is going to be, right? In leadership, like, dude, there's a thousand million books on leadership. But there's also this certainty that says, if you are that guy, you can't not be that guy. Or you can't have a mistake, or you can't... I mean, the number of pastors that I've dealt with that have been kicked out of the pastorate because they've drank, smoked pot, or been gay, like, is... I mean, there's hundreds of them in in the past that I've worked with. So Mm -hmm. it's like, there's this certainty that says you can't leave. But but obviously, like, it's like we talked about... And I think that certainty is killing people. Killing people. Killing people. Because they buy into, I can't... I'm not allowed to. God wouldn't want me to do anything different. And I'm like, whoa, when did he say that? I mean, if we're going, if we're talking, since we're talking about the pastor and we're looking at scripture, where is this at in scripture? You're giving gifts, but when are you ever, you you can only exercise one of them for the rest of your life because you've received a gift. You can never open a new one. Right, right, right. So I think I would buy into you saying there's an evolution of the call. Maybe you're discovering new gifts, new places to use those gifts. We get so specific so quick because it gives us certainty. It makes us feel good to say I've I've arrived. Last my last podcast we talked about how I felt like when I became the lead pastor I had arrived. There was no next steps. There was developing what I was already doing, but I had made it. That brought a lot of peace and certainty to me, which is why I brought so much uncertainty and such a lack of peace when I said maybe what I thought I made it to it isn't what it what I thought it was. Maybe the whole Western pastorate isn't even in Scripture. So yeah, am I called to it? Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. You say, uh, you know, because in a lot of ways, I always say, if you're one of those anchored certain people, especially in faith, you're due. I mean, it's going to catch you. Like somebody someday is going to catch you with the right question or the right movement in their own lives for you to start thinking about it. Okay. So we'll fast forward. So and that's, 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 that's good. So you know the bottom line is if is if you've got movement going on, don't ignore it. Yes. If you ignore it at some level, it's going to hurt for a while. I, right. I, I would I would agree. So we what did we talk about Ex- expectations? Like we got off the podcast last time. It's like, hey man, let's talk about expectations. Yeah. So, so what do you want people to know in expectation? If you're making whether you're making the decision to stay or to go in the pastorate, you have to be aware of the expectations that are upon you because they're lethal. So let's... Let, yeah, play that out my, practically. My beautiful wife. The expectations of a pastor's wife are like monumental. What you wear, how you raise your kids. And that's how she's you, thinking, Yeah, right? what you say, yeah. What you're involved in, what events you attend. So my wife has a career. If we're going to use the word call, she feels led to be a nurse to help people through medicine. That's how her brains works. That's what she gets excited about. She, you know, I suck at science. She's amazing at science. So she feels very led. It doesn't vibe well for a pastor's wife to have a job. Right. Because the expectations are you're taking care of the kids. You're, you're at all the events. You're backstop. You're, yeah. You're serving in the church. You're doing, it's the only, you don't, you know, the, the, the pastor's wife is a title. Like I'm never at, you're never at work. The, 
the finance person's wife, the spiritual director's <laughs> wife, the barista's wife. The barista's wife. You, you know. mad you're getting your coffee? Yeah. Hey, who's that? That's my That's, that's my wife. My wife. She she throws all the trash away when I'm done. She can uh, <laughs> she can greet you at the door when you come in. Yeah. You don't that's interview funny. for like a marketing job and they're well, like, hey, what we, is that? we want to bring what? your wife in for an interview also just to make sure the whole thing works. So I know. So so that's a great point. My <laughs> wife had more interviews when I got my pastorate than I did. To go into the she church. Had, to go into the church. Shot. She up. went through more meetings, which are pseudo interviews, than I did. No kidding. Yeah. Because there's this expectation upon her that she has to be this person. She has to be you. Yeah. Yeah, she should be you. And there's this thing, man, that's especially Christian subculture, man, where it's like, it's like that's that's a thing. Like you can't. I know one church. Well, I know a couple of church pastors right now that have wives that are not necessarily hooked in on the day to day. And I, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. There is an expectation and a look, you know, mm-hmm. at that you know turn of the century English, like, oh, what, what are they doing? Um, but it does work out for them. But what is that thing? Like, what what is that? You know, why why does the wife have to be there? You know, right alongside you. Yeah, I don't really know. And and I'll give credit. I don't know what other people are experiencing. I can only talk from our experience. My wife stuck true to who she was. She stuck true to the nursing field that she works in, and she was not at a lot of events. And we split the kids' schedules because she worked and I worked, and she wasn't always there on Sunday morning. But we got flack for it. What, what, and, and what does that sound like? Sometimes verbal, yeah. But lots of lack of relationship, yeah. You know, lots of looking down, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, lots of jokes about other people being the, you know, being my the pastor's wife. Mm. You know, like well, yeah, what's what, that? What's that? Yeah, what is you know? that? So there was a lot. There was there, and and then a lot. Of, you know, just uh, the vibe around it all. Um, so that's one expectation that I just think you got to be aware of, especially you know if you're going to stay in it. Make sure that your spouse, whether you're a male pastor or a female pastor, because I personally believe that females can be pastors, and we're probably rubbing some feathers just saying that. But well, yeah, they can. Yeah, absolutely. So, so wh- whether your spouse is a man or a woman, make sure that they have their own identity. And especially in our culture, if you're a female pastor, it's very easy for your husband to have an identity because the culture accepts that much easier than if you're a male pastor and your wife. To, is supposed to be the pastor's wife. Like I, I've never heard the term pastor's husband. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Have maybe, you? Yeah. One. One time. Okay. I mean, I actually do know a woman pastor. I think she's. Yeah. Uh, I think she's um, Episcopal. Yeah. I think she's married. One maybe. of my one of my best friends. You should have her on your podcast sometime when I get her out here. Yeah. I want Pastor that. Pastor Tracy. She rocks. I want to talk to Tracy. Yeah. She rocks. So, and this goes, you know, again, if you're listening to and you're about to get into the pastor, you're church, I work with a lot of church planners. So if you're church planning and you feel your wife in one movement to the other, like don't, don't hold her head under the same water that, you know, you are. That's all there is to it because this is a, this is a thing. So she's got expectations on her. The minute you start your movement, to leave the pastor, the pastorate, I would imagine it's like knives going through the air. Mm-hmm. Just, just crazy. What's the relationship like between you and her then at that point? I, I think I described it a little bit last time. There was a lot of relief happening. Like we're going to do something different than the way we've been doing it. Cause the way we're doing it, it's not working. Family's not working. Marriage isn't working. It's all about the church. The universe is the church. You're, you know, everything revolves around, around that. So, 
So we're going to do it differently. So there's a lot of relief, but there's also a lot of fear. What else are you going to do? How are we going to pay the bills? That's a, that's a big one that's out there. And then what are people going to say about us? Right. And as easy as it is to say is I'm just going to worry about what God believes about me or what my friends say about me. It's hard when a yeah, community yeah, of people yeah. begin saying things, things about you, some right to your face and it's shielded and it's, you know, all that stuff and it's jokes and stuff like that. But you know, I think what were the expectations on you as you as you decided that okay we're gonna do something different now the something different worked into hey I think we got to leave um, what's going on there one of the in the pastorate one of the biggest expectations that I really struggled with is that for some reason pastors know all they have a they have a lower voice than God but a God like voice yeah you got all and I'm not answers. even talking just about theology right like politics car repair. Like for some reason, you're supposed to know something about everything about car repair. You're supposed to know every person in town. Yeah. You're supposed to be at everyone's big events. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to, you know, everyone wants to be baptized by you. I'm not going to name his name, but you know, I know a pastor who gives out hugs after church and I'm like, wait, we're coming to a service to bring glory to a God. And then we're going to line up and give a dude a bunch of hugs. Yeah. Hey, I love a hug. Sure. Hug I actually love those hats to say hug dealer instead of drug dealer. Sure. And like, I'll wear one of those and give pe- random people hugs. I'm weird like that. I love giving random people hugs. Yeah, you are. But to like line up and give a pastor hugs. Yeah. When I saw that, I'm like, yo, what? Who do we think this person is? And then I think from a place, we, we think very positive things about the pastor, but that creates expectations for that person to continue to be that person that we elevate in our lives so they can't falter. Yeah, because if they do, everybody's screwed. I mean, name the jobs for me where if you have an affair, you lose your job. Oh God. I mean, you know, I, I've 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 had contracted employees that have moral causes. Mm-hmm. So you know, I've seen that. But okay. yeah, so gen- it exists. Gen- generally, if the lady at the bank is having an affair, uh, there's nothing's going to be said. Yeah, they're yeah. definitely out there, and I'm not yeah. signing a single pastor out. No, Every no, no, job's I, got its stuff. Every yeah, job it. is difficult. But somebody listening to you is going to go, "Well, dude, we are talking about moral. Like, this is what the church says: moral mm-hmm. failure, moral yeah. failure." So, do you remember um, who was uh, Ted Ted Hager? Remember mm-hmm. that pastor mm-hmm. with the whole got caught with some drugs in a in a, in a male prostitute? Yeah. yeah. So I can remember this. I can. Remember, I was still working at Triple X Church at the time. I can remember he got busted and they booted his ass right out. And I can remember. Th- and a New York Times reporter called us just for comment on what we thought about because of the whole the whole prostitute thing. Everybody would come call us about <laughs> about it. Right? They asked you about car repairs. If if, if you mentioned the word masturbation, they'd go, "Well, call Triple X Church." Um, so the uh, the point I'm making is, I can remember thinking then that kicking a dude out for that type in what they call the moral failure. Yes. Which just makes me laugh right off the bat. To kick a guy out like makes absolutely no sense. Now I I swear to you, I listened to the radio shows, I read the interviews that justified it with scripture and through scripture all over the place, particularly Corinthians, first and second. Uh, and I was still like just shaking my head like, no, it doesn't make any sense that in a failing, you're kicking some, you're, you're, you're saying you're not included anymore because there's a thousand people coming to your church that are failing every, if you want to hold that up, if you want to hold that up to the light, you know, they're failing every single day. So this, 
the, your point is pastors are, are very human, and not only are they very human, but they're evolving just like the people that come and listen to that pastor, and that needs to be like we need to dig that out. Like that yeah. kind of tumor needs to be dug out. The expectation that you can't fail as a pastor is incredibly heavy. That's bullshit at the end of the and day. And that, that your family's livelihood. And for a lot of pastors, I was blessed by my wife having a career and a salary, more than my salary. Well, so I was blessed yeah, by that. Yeah, pastors generally aren't yeah. <laughs> aren't, aren't, aren't raking in the aren't raking it. We didn't get hey. into it. I took I took I moved here from the East Coast. I took a fifty percent pay cut yeah. to take my pastorate job yeah, from the business world. Which but I was excited like, about it. I'm not complaining about it. I was excited about it. So my wife I went from, you know, making more than her. She now she's making more than me. But when a lot of the pastors I know, so I worked in a church with six five other pastors, six of us. My wife was the only one that worked. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that was so a thing. for them <laughs> the pressure on them not to fail, to hide any of their moral failings, to not bring it into light where it can get healing, yeah, and help is yeah. massive. Well, and and I tell, I, and that's one of the reasons. Like people ask me all the time, you know, what demographic do you most serve? And I'm like, I have tons of pastors because yeah. pastors really want to come. And a guy like me, it serves them well because I get it. Like I'm already there, man. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I know there's stuff going on. Yeah. So we need to hash it out. What, how can we better prepare? And we'll get, and we'll go back to the expectations, but this question on top of my mind, how can we better prepare people to understand 2019? Because We've got a. There are more articles written in the last six months denominationally about people leaving denominational faiths. Like it's like on fire right now. We got groups of Methodists now voting out the Methodist church as a whole. We have Catholic denominations folding like cards. Uh, Episcopals, Presbyterians, like denominational faith is in serious trouble in this country. And then we have evangelicals that are struggling with. The church down the street has 5,000 people, but then the other non-denom only has 10. So how do we... Ha- 10 it, people, not 10,000. No, yeah, 10 people. <laughs> yeah, 10. Uh, so how do we help the regular... And I, I hate to say regular folks, because that's bullshit, because I consider myself a regular guy, a street theologian. How do we help the... How do we help folks, man, matriculate into these ideas that... The probably the best church you're looking at is the guy that's standing up in front of you, like letting it all go. Or in some cases, you've seen that person's life look like yours. How do we help people with that? The best answer that comes to my mind in this moment is we've got to diversify and delegate authority and power. So we first have to be aware of it and we've got to split it up so that it's not about this one person, this charismatic one person who's everyone's following that person so that the regular street theologian feels worthy of what they have to say of what they bring to the table, that this is a community and whether you go to church on Sunday morning or not, and and pastors are going to have to be the ones that lead this because they currently hold the power. Regardless of your church is 10 people or 5,000 people, you hold the power in that church. So they're going to have to be the ones that lead the charge. That's why you got to get Tracy on your podcast. Cause she's doing this out in, out in Westchester, Pennsylvania, leading the charge of taking power and spreading it out so that everyone finds a place to get involved. And so that organizations that aren't even Christian organizations find pathways to work together with the church. And so that regular street people feel like, Hey, I have something to bring to the table. 
I'm not just going to enter this place and be a nobody or have to recite their creed to do something yeah, to with in. them to get to even get in the door to get respect. I've got to be one of them. So you're saying top down. You're saying, I mean, if we were to kind of focus in on, we're like, hey, pastor, if you're listening to us right now, um, and again, it's trans, it's transformative, contemplative stuff, though, which is going to be a hard movement for most evangelicals because most evangelicals don't fire in the senses of transformation and 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 and, and contemplative understanding. They just don't. We we do things. Evangelicals do things. Process methodology. Go go to your leadership conference. Hit your marriage thing. And then call the day. The one of the best stories I've heard so far in the last six months was a couple that's a very well known church, and they were almost um, they were pushed into a marriage seminar, um, and it it was totally about methodology and process. In other words, if you didn't go, well, you're kind of missing out on who and what we are. You know what I mean? So it's like it's like at some level, at some level, we've got to stop that top down. And what's the best suggestion you can give a pastor? Like, how do you start busting up that responsibility? Get your money from somewhere else. Oh, damn. So yeah, you're right so, away. So you're saying, wait, so you're saying right away, the pastor gets his money someplace else. If you want to equip your people oh, and the gifts that they have been given by God, and you want to reach your community and see the people that aren't coming to your church involved in helping the community in the ways you want to help the community diversify your income as quickly and as much as possible. So are you saying stop taking a paycheck from that church? Is that what you're saying? As soon as possible. Okay. Wow. I mean, that's a... The the cost of the building and the cost of the pastor's salary handicap the church from usually from fulfilling its vision. Yeah. And that leads to executive boards that are making decisions solely on the guy in the building. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It leads to churches I know of right now that are cutting all small staff and ministries to put together money so they can hire a pastor. So instead of employing yeah, hear, yeah. multiple people to get multiple ideas at the table and even finding community members that may not share the same faith or may not may go to a different church, but share the same faith to accomplish a common vision and a common purpose that would bring glory to the same God you're worshiping on Sunday morning. Instead of doing that, let's cancel it all. Hire one dude and ask him to do it all. Dude. It's so good. It's so dude. It's, it's, it's Jesus wisdom. It's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. If you say so. Well, no, it's Jesus. If you think about it this way, it's Jesus wisdom to say, Hey, how do we change leadership? And you just go right for what it is, and you go take away the money, <laughs> take away the money, take away the money, take away the money. Okay, so take away. I the mean, money. if you created a community of people, and and Francis Chan is doing this, so obviously I'm pulling ideas from a lot of what I'm reading. This is, I'm not, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. I'm pulling a lot of ideas, but Francis Chan's one person out there who he's doing it differently than I would do it, as anybody would do. But he's, you know, left the church toward Asia. Now he's back. He's doing wearechurch.com, you know, and he's going, all right, all the giving goes to local and global missions. And what I mean by that is it goes to help people locally and globally. No one's paid. We're here because we want to be here. Is there leadership? Yeah, there's leadership. But we are here because we want to be here. It's very Rotary-esque. Yeah, I was gonna. I was literally gonna go there. Yeah, it's super rotary esque, which I totally like. Now, uh, somebody on the other side of this fence is gonna go. Yeah, but Francis Chan already made his million bucks on his book. True. 
And then, and then, and then that's where a guy like me comes in and says, Hey, he probably worked his ass off to write that book just so you know, and he's still in the game. Like people who, (laughs) people who look at guys like Francis Chan or even Rob Bell for that matter and go, yeah, but he could afford to, you know, F off and go get a cup of coffee whenever he wants to. I'm like, yeah, he worked, he worked his ass off to get there, but he, he's changing culture. But but I would, I would fire right back to them. Sure. So Francis Chan's good to go. But the hundreds of people involved in WeAreChurch.com aren't. Mm-hmm. You don't know their names. Yeah, the, the, I, these are people serving free of charge. Some are, have the title pastor, and they're not paid. And all of the giving goes out the door. I would also say that we have some biblical principle here. Like in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we do get a snapshot of how these guys managed when it comes to the cash. You know, Jesus had a couple people floating around his ministry that were directly plugged into the machine, kind of funneling in, you know, stuff. And Jesus wasn't, you know, he wasn't living, he wasn't living like, you know, in poverty where he's begging on the street. That wasn't, Mm -mm. that wasn't those guys. So I, we do have some precedent to say that there was a, a real flow or these guys had to design a plan in order to have the few years that they had with Jesus without work in the tax well, collection. We have to be very careful of context here because the scriptures you're referencing are talking about a period of time where God is on earth, walking around the earth, setting up the church. Copy that. That's not what we're doing right now. What are we doing now? So to take to take the, the financial model of that and apply it to today, I think, it, can we learn from it? Sure. Is it a little, can we, can we mimic it? I don't think so. So then you have the local church being set up post-Acts and they're living in a community which is so enticing to us but we can't get there because they're sharing what they have. Well, and most people today, and, and again, we've had this yeah. conversation before. Most people today are like, "Let's go, let's go back to first century church." And, yeah, I, and yeah. I'm the first guy to go. I don't want nothing to do with that necessarily. Yeah. So, so the money post Jesus went to those they were sending out, what we would call today a missionary. Right. I don't. I have yet to find in Scripture post Jesus once the church was established which is the body of Christ, not a building place people went to. They gathered in each other's homes because it was just a group of people. That's what the church was. I've yet to find any of those people being paid. Well, Paul, Paul was a tent dealer, we know. Yep. So, I mean, he, you know, his his whole idea, it's, again, it goes back to that freaking Buddhist thing, man, where the Buddhist Zen masters, like, go back to the village. Paul went back to the village, but he had a, but he had a gig while he's going back there. Like, he's got a gig where he's in the marketplace selling making, buying business to create business in order for the body of Christ or the church as we know it as people, you know, to kind of come together. And and back in his time, it would have been everybody. It would have been all kinds of crazy-ass people. All kinds. And, I, and this is another poll from Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church. Uh, I'm with you. Let's not go back to the first century. But Francis Chan pulls out really well that gangs today are better at community than the churches. <laughs> That's so good. They care for each other yeah, more. That, they, yeah, they care more for each other and take care of each other's needs more than the common church does. Well, people would always ask me if I. People would always ask me where I see the devil. They they were so interested when I was working for Triple X Church. I don't know if for for some reason the idea was that the de- the devil was around me all the time, but. They'd say, do you see the devil in the porn show? And I say, no. I say, I see more Christians at porn shows than I do in American church. And they would be flabbergasted and a lot of times would want to you know, claw my eyeballs out. But uh, it's 100% true because a co- if you understand your commonality with people, it, N-A-A-A-S-A-O-A, the porn industry, gangs, the American church does it on methodology, not on commonality. Yeah. 
So that's why that guy getting kicked out of church for his moral failure, like we need to, that guy needs to be up front, front row. Well, and I, and I would, I would, I would say this, that be willing to die trying. If churchianity, if you've almost, if you've, if you've woken up and going, oh my gosh, I'm a pastor within churchianity and I've, I want to live my life for Christ, for the divine and relationship, what we would call Christianity, like go die trying. Don't stop. Like don't, don't, don't suffocate that spark. Don't shove it under the rug. Cause I think you'll die an even worse death in churchianity. Well, I, I, through the motions. And I've said it, I've said it a couple of different ways. Um, for me, I can't not do this anymore. Like if I if I were to stop in this evolving process, I would blow up. Like I I I know I know for like if I was to go, I just I just know that. So it's like he, it, you're expressing an essence in dying, trying, trying, dying. It's like the essence is value something so great and so deeply that um, dying's not a. It's it's not necessarily a death. It's just what and who you are. Yeah. Is that better? No. I always like the way you say it better than the way I say it. Yeah, whatever. Um, okay, we got three more minutes. What What else is in there? What else is in there for you? I, I is there any big takeaway? Is there any? Because we probably have to go for part me. Three and you point. you taught me this. Christ loved the church. Christ loved the temple. Like, let's not. This is you and I aren't here to to rail against the church. We're we're here to say there might be another way to do it. But maybe you're feeling a spark for something different, but you're not feeling at all called to get out, quote unquote. Right. Run with that. Run with that. The, the only thing that I don't like, which I see far too often, and, and rolling back to the money thing, is that there's so much on the line. Careers, salaries, livelihoods are on the line that we just do the motions. We're good with it. We're doing the motions and church becomes about how do we package a 60 minute event so that people come back next week and give their money. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it becomes a marketing scheme. Churches have show producers now. I mean, I know these people. Yeah. They literally have show producers. So yeah. And, and just to go back to the point, like we're not beating on church anyway, because I can clearly say with my own, with, with my own, my own spiritual practice, Love the church. People always ask me all the time, hey, do you go to church? And I say, well, let's, what do you mean? Because there's got to be some clarity there. Do you have a place on Sunday that you go? And then my answer is, well, no, I, I don't. And then they're always like antennas go up and like, well, who the hell are you? What are you? What do you go to the, what's going on? And so I, I, I have an amazing spiritual community around me that is, in fact, the church. Um, people that, uh, I mean, gosh, people that are in various lengths of and levels of of transformation and understanding and consciousness, and, um, but for the most part, I think my my church experience is probably a little bit richer than the than the other guy because it's all I do all day long. But I also do it with people that don't even consider themselves church people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I find a hell of a lot more valuable. Uh, than that way. So yeah, so we're not beating on the church. Is um and we'll do one more here. Is there what's next? Like I know you got the edify thing going, but what's but what's next? I what? think there's there's a movement to create community 
around really walking out. So create a church again? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good idea. There's a movement to create a community of people who want to walk life out differently in relationship with the divine, discover true self. These people might not all be Christians, which funny enough might really describe the people who were following Jesus yeah, he while did, he was here on earth. Yeah, Jesus didn't want us to... He, yeah. He would be aghast at what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's just so many examples. I think if we build a wall at the border, Jesus would be on the other side of that wall. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be over tending to the migrants. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be political, whether we should, shouldn't, none of that. I'm not trying to get, I'm just saying if, if the wall is erected, Jesus is going to be on the other side of the wall, tending, yeah. tending to the least of these. He'd have some great parable about the wall. He would. He, you know he would I mean? say something so magnificent about and the we'd wall. we'd all stare at him like, yeah, yeah. dude. <laughs> but I just think, I, I think what's coming to my mind in closing here is I got friends who are being awakened to true self, a revived, resurrected relationship with the divine, with Christ. Some are choosing to stay in the church. These are pastor friends. Some are choosing to walk out of the church. Um, my friends who, who aren't pastors, some are choosing to stay. Some are choosing to, to go, but they're choosing to live awake. And so that's a daily journey and it's going to look different each day you take steps forward and it's going to mold and it's going to change. And guess what? It's not going to be anymore. It's not going to be certain anymore. It's not going to be decided. Your beliefs are going to be evolving and it's scary because you might not believe the same thing this month that you believe next month. True that. It might, <laughs> it, it might change. It might look different. It might take you different places. It's anything. It's like the opposite of certain. Yeah. Which yeah. saying uncertain just seems like, well, I think at the end of the weak. day, it's, it, it becomes very Paulinian. Like, you know, you read with this, with this kind of frame and you start reading Paul again, it just kind of blows your mind off uh, because all of a sudden you realize that Paul was transformatively a huge contemplative, a huge thinker and just a huge guy to go non-dual, man, non-dual, non-opposition, how do we move the ball forward? No performance, no proving, no convincing. Uh, you don't need meat to come to the table. You don't even need a table. You know what I mean? So that's so that's what I love. I have been thinking lately, and then we'll call it a day. I know that we're over. I have been thinking lately, like, we do need place. Because mm -hmm. I can't, I, for me, man, if I really, Richard Rohr has said it, has said it best about the 12 Steps in the 12 step recovery program since the, since 1935, two guys out of Ohio, one out of New York, one out of Ohio, start the 12 steps for AA. And then it becomes this massive movement for people to recover. Uh, and, and, uh, do it with the divine. You have to do it with the divine. So I can't help but see that and see what it's evolved into like this explosion around the world of people who are looking outward and recovering and living peaceful lives. So for me, when I, I see guys like you and a few other people that we know, I can't help but think, man, we've got to like have a place. There's got to be a place. And, you know, of course, we could run up to the Abbey up the street. We could go, you know, dance around a fire in New Mexico with the other wacko mystics and contemplatives. We could go silent retreat with Cynthia Bourgeau. I mean, there's a lot of shit we can do. But I, I, keep, I keep noodling this thing over with these people in recovery and how they've managed to 
be quiet, not piss anybody off, and totally transform their lives. So now I'm like, there's got to be, over my time, there's thousands of people that have, you know, I can think of one guy who's in Seattle right now, and he's a big voice, but he doesn't say too much. Because that place, you know, that quote-unquote place isn't, isn't there for him. And I know creatively he's thinking about it right now. So I challenge everybody listening to start thinking about place and thinking about what that would look like without dogmatic concern, certain uh, concern. Uh, and then how can you move your friends there with you? You know, is it a dinner? Is it, I got, I mean, Peter Rollins, for example, like he has that crazy ass dinner thing that he does. Uh, Rob Bell brings people together to, at a comedy, you know, shop in LA. Um, there's so many of these kind of people now doing place. So I just encourage everybody listening, man, what's the place and what does it sound like? What does it look like? What does it happen? Can but I put, it, can I put one challenge no, out there? You can't go. <laughs> my, my biggest thing has been stop worrying, especially if you're a Christian, stop worrying about what's white, right and wrong. God, man. And just Preach. go love somebody, yeah, but like that. practically do it. Do it. Like literally go hug somebody, yeah. be a hug dealer. You know what I mean? But go, go like, you know, you've been adamantly against homosexuality and that's what your church has taught. Go down to the gay pride parade and just celebrate people's humanity. Love I them. I would say, here's, can Love I, them. can I talk about gay pride real quick? If you haven't been to a gay pride uh, parade, what the hell are you doing with your life? It's so much fun. It's not even, I mean, dude, it's the, probably one of some of the best, best times I've ever had. Um, I agree with Ryan. Okay, uh, 35 minutes. I think we're going to circle back and maybe do a, a, a uno dos trace, a part trace on this. If you say so. Yeah, I think we I think we need to because I think there's a conversation here. And I don't want to be one of these postmodernists that's like, well, let's continue to have the conversation. Because anybody that knows me knows that I'm emphatic about doing something. So um, hopefully this bears a uh, fruit for somebody out there. But um, dude, thanks. We'll talk to you next time. All right, we're probably going to have to do a part three on that, but uh, we'll do that. Um, we do want to talk about place. And, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of you out there, and I'm just going to touch base on this real quick, and then, I'll, then we'll move on. But I know there's a lot of you out there that don't do church, want to do church, or don't want to get near waking up at 8 o'clock in the morning for Sunday or have any of that vibe, and I totally get that. And I encourage all of you to have some kind of movement in community in and around what it's not, right? So you, you know what I'm saying? People ask me all the time, do you go to church? My family does not get up at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning and go for an hour church thing. We don't do that. and We've not done that for years. Uh, in, instead, we create environment where people are going to come. So my house is constantly filled with people. Uh, on Saturday nights, we do a happy, uh, a happy a thing that we call Happy Fun Time. Before Happy Fun Time, when we were living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we called it Patioville. Um, and before that, frankly, when we were in Hudson, Ohio, we had the backyard always churned up and a fire going and people coming. So I encourage you, man, to put people in your life intentionally. Invite people over for dinner. Have a Saturday night gathering. Have a Wednesday night gathering. Go to people's houses. Show up unannounced. <laughs> show up unannounced see how that'll do um but i do i just i ask you to move in that direction because god really the the divine he he made us to love one another and yes you don't have to do that on sunday mornings you can do that when any damn time you'd like but i just encourage that kind of movement because it's in us it really is in us and i know you well enough to know that that's in you 
And I know those people out there. I don't like people. I don't want to. Uh, listen, even deep in your core, I know there's. I know it's happening for you. So, uh, move intentionally. I'm Jr. Jrman.com. M-A-H-O-N.com. If you need a spiritual director or a mentor, I'm it. I'd love to help you. Appreciate you so not. Uh, so <laughs> appreciate you so much. Thanks for being along with my passion, and I love you. See you tomorrow.